Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 7th of August 2011, entitled The Saviour of All Men, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-16. to Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand with me as we begin in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men because of those, or especially for those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that we... Lord, can know that, Lord, when you say here that you're the Savior of all men, but especially to them that believe. Lord, thank you that we can be one of those that has believed. Thank you that we can be counted as your children this evening. Father, we thank you for your word that we have before us and your spirit that lives within us. We pray now that in these next moments as we look at this portion of Scripture, Lord, that you would speak to each heart because you know you know each one that is here. You knew who would be here before we came and before you laid this message upon our hearts. You know the needs. We pray that you would do the work that you alone can do, that you alone would see the glory and the honor for it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. A familiar passage which we have referred to a couple of times recently in looking at other portions of, of Scripture and of course, I believe that as we look around us that there can be no doubt whatsoever 
that we are living in those latter times. And the Bible says that there's going to be some that will notice that, that word there in verse 1, depart from the faith. We know that this is what we've been looking at very much in Jude because this is apostasy. This is those that have known the truth but have turned away from that truth. That's far different than somebody that's just never been given the truth in the first place. And he goes to great lengths here as he goes on and he describes many of the things that we'll do in the speaking of lies, the, the hypocrisy, uh, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. They really have absolutely no idea that they're doing anything wrong whatsoever. And of course, in verse 3, it shows that they're just coming up with all of their rules that has nothing to do with God. But they're saying you need to do this and you need to do that. But it's not what God has said. But he tells us that, verse 5, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. All these things that they're telling us to eat this and not eat this and not do that and to do this, God gives us clearly in his word anything that is forbidden for us as his children. We find that he tells us that, speaking, of course, especially here to young Timothy and in his ministry, he tells him there in verse 6 that he should put the brethren in remembrance of these things. That's what's going to make him a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. He has been taught the truth. He knows the truth. And it's that truth that he should be explaining to others. He should be refusing all of these profane things that are not God's. And of course, as we've said many times, that's how we know. Even as we looked there this morning, how do we know? How do we know what trees are good and bad? What fruit is good and bad? How do we know these false prophets that are doing all these things in, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Of course, we saw the importance of it being built upon his word. You see, if it's built upon the right foundation, then first of all, then that's all that's going to stand. Everything else is going to fall in the end. But today we've got God's truth. We've got God's word. I want you to look here as we take just a few moments this evening, just to look at this verse in verse 10. He, he says, for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. You see, the first thing that he's showing us here is a committed servant. For therefore, we both labor and suffer reproach. Of course, the word that's translated labor here is, is not just playing at something. It literally means to work at something so hard that you, that you grow tired, that you grow weary, that you can literally feel completely exhausted with all this needing to be accomplished. Paul says we'll labor so hard for this thing. We'll work ourselves to exhaustion. He's describing the actual condition that is created not by him seeking his own salvation, but as we go through, we'll see, by seeking to get that message to others. He's shown us the importance. He said, we both labor and suffer reproach. 
We work to the point sometimes that we're exhausted, that we're tired, we're suffering the rejection and the persecution of those around us. We recently looked at, you know, how would you like to be given the job that Isaiah was given when he was told that he was to go to this people and he was to preach to this people. Don't worry, they're not going to want to hear what you've got to say. They're not going to pay any attention to what you're saying. But I want you to go with them with the truth because there will be a remnant. Sometimes we can feel discouraged. Sometimes we can feel that, that we're just beating our head against the wall. Sometimes we can feel that we're not being effective because it's natural for us in everything that we do around us. Success, success is counted by numbers. You know, one of the greatest things that certainly would excite me and cheer me is to see this altar filled with people that are crying out to be saved and to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I try to comprehend sometimes what it would have been like during one of those great revivals when people were walking down the streets and people would begin witnessing and people were literally falling on their knees right there in the streets and calling upon God to forgive them. But we live where God has placed us. And the truth is, is that the Bible is teaching us very clearly that in these latter days, even many of those that have heard the truth, they're going to be turning from it. They're going to be putting it aside. They're going to be speaking lies and hypocrisy, but we need to stand upon the truth and we need to hold forth that truth. And Paul says we need to labor and suffer reproach because it's that important that they have the truth of the gospel message. We see here that he was a committed servant. We need committed servants today. I know we all get tired sometimes. And you know, one of the worst things is when you feel like that you're working and you're, and you're so tired and you may be feeling the exhaustion and you, you just don't see the results. But the truth is, is God has called us to work even in these days. He's called us to labor. The most important thing that we've got to do with our energy, with our time, with the body that we have, with whatever time that we have left, the most important thing in all the world is that we labor and suffer whatever persecution might come our way to get the message of the gospel to those that don't have it. There's nothing more important in our lives. There's nothing that's so much worth being tired for. We need a committed servant, as the Apostle Paul is pointing out here. But you see, we not only see this committed servant in serving the Lord, but notice next, he's a confident saint. How can he be so committed? For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God. We sang that song earlier, because he lives. I can face tomorrow. Paul's saying, you know, we can. We need to labor. We need to face whatever's being thrown against us because we trust in a living God. We've got confidence. Our God is alive. He's alive and he's well and he's still able to accomplish and do that work in the hearts of those around us. But it'll never happen without the good seed. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's so simple when we look and realize Jesus Christ did everything 
that was necessary for the salvation of mankind. And we see that here again in just a moment. But as Jesus Christ did it all, his parting words to you and I were to go to them with that gospel message because it does not matter one bit that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them, that his blood was sufficient. It matters none whatsoever if they're never told, if they're never given the opportunity to believe the gospel message. Paul has confidence the work he says it can be exhausting sometimes, but it's worth it because we understand we're doing God's work. We're doing God's work that he's asked us to do. We're talking about the work of salvation, the work of men and women and boys and girls coming to be able to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying it's worth all the sacrifices. It's worth whatever it costs us. It's worth however hard we have to work. It's worth whatever they might throw against us. But folks, just as it was an exercise of faith, when you yourself accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is an exercise of faith. You can't save anybody, and I can't save anybody. But we've got a job to do that God's called us to do. And it's worth whatever it costs us. It's worth all the sacrifices. And even if we don't see it happening right before our eyes, it's an exercise of faith. We must sow the good seed. We trust in a living God. Just as we trusted him to save us, let's trust him to save others. Let's trust him to save your family and my family. Let's trust him to save your friends and my friends. Let's trust him to save your neighbors and my neighbors, the people that we're in contact with every day. We don't come face to face with everybody, but we're serving and working for a living God. He saved us. He can save them. Let us exercise our faith by being that light and being that witness. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would even begin to feel like if one day as we saw those people that we care about, we saw them there before the great white throne of judgment, we saw them being turned away because they never put their faith in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if just as when Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus didn't say a word to him. He just turned and looked at him. He just turned and looked at him. Peter wept. We imagine those, if we've had the opportunity, if we've had the opportunity to give them the most wonderful message in all the world, even if we think they're not going to want to hear it, even if we think they're not going to listen, they're not going to respond. They've heard it so many times before. It's not going to make any difference this time. Simple truth is, as I look around this congregation this evening, there are a few people that hear the gospel message the very first time they ever hear it. And boy, they grasp it and they want it and they get saved. But some of you are probably just like me. I sit under the gospel message not just a few times, but hundreds of times heard that message preached, 
before I ever responded to it personally. Just because they've heard it before and haven't responded, that's no reason for us not to. Let us be committed servants. In this day of apostasy, when many are turning away from the truths that we have before us, let's stand firm upon those truths. Let's make sure as we've looked in these recent weeks, as we've looked at what biblical salvation, scriptural salvation is all about, as we're looking even now at what true saving faith is, let's make sure in ourselves that we're not exhausting ourselves and spending our time and putting forth all of our energies for things that in the end will not matter. They'll make no difference whatsoever. If we're going to be tired, if we're going to spend those energies, then I'm saying let's spend them on things that matter for eternity. Let's make sure because we can have the same confidence that the Apostle Paul did here when he was writing to young Timothy. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God. That's where our trust lies. So we're going to trust him today. We're going to trust him in whatever circumstances that may come our way tomorrow. We're going to trust him amidst the rejection when they say no and they don't want to hear it. We're going to trust him no matter what it costs, no matter how hard we have to work for it. We're going to trust him because we're trusting in the living God. You see, we can do that. We can be a committed servant. We can be a confident saint because I want to tell you something. We have a concerned Savior. We have a compassionate Savior. We have a caring Savior. We have a Savior that loves far beyond anything that we can imagine. He says here, for therefore we labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. That's the one that we're trusting in. The one that is the Savior of all men. Now what does that mean? There's some that would come to this verse and that they would stand up and teach some kind of universalism that everybody's going to be saved in the end anyway. But the simple truth is, if that's all you had right there, we're going to labor and suffer reproach. When, first of all, what sense would that make? Why would we want to work ourselves to exhaustion and why would we want to suffer reproach? Why would we need to trust in a living God if in the end everybody's going to make it anyway? Everybody's going to be saved. So what's the point? There would be no point for it. It wouldn't even make sense in the context that it's in. And certainly when we compare Scripture with Scripture, the Savior of all men, that doesn't mean that every man everywhere is going to be saved. Matter of fact, what we've been looking at in our morning series recently, we know that sadly there are going to be a lot more that are not saved than those that are saved. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, notice what he said in verse 41. He said, two women shall be grinding at the mill the one shall be taken and the other left. They didn't both go. One was taken and 
One was left behind. We see in that same chapter down in verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. The Lord's going to find us doing something when he comes. What is he going to find us busy about? Is it going to be about his work or about our own? We find that as we look into the last book in your Bible, the book of Revelation, which has much to say about those last days, in Revelation chapter 20, he says very clearly, beginning in verse 11, he says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, the Bible is very clear. Everybody is not going to heaven one day. He says that we ought to labor, and that we ought to suffer reproach because we trust in a living God that is the Savior of all men. We've been looking recently in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And again, we've seen all these comparisons over the last few weeks, one against the other, the true way and the false way, only one that was leading to life. There were few on that path, but there were many on that broad path that was leading to destruction. But the text plainly says, the Savior of all men. But notice then it says, especially of those that believe. What does he mean by this? Well, it's obvious that especially those that believe, that in some way, in some way, there's a difference here. In some way, he's the Savior of all, and yet at the same time, there's something special about the way he's a Savior to those that believe. You know, first of all, one simple truth here is that we know that God is the Savior of all in a temporal sense to start with. While he is the Savior of believers in an eternal sense. You see, only believers experience God's grace for deliverance from sin, from that condemnation, from the penalty of that sin. But we know from studying other passages that all men experience God's grace in many of the earthly benefits and goodness that are all around us. But it's not just that. There is a common grace in Psalm 145 and in verse 9. We find that Psalm 149, or 145, I'm sorry, 
in verse 9, the Word of God says this. He says, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His work. God's goodness. All men experience to some degree the goodness of our God. In Romans chapter 2, and in verse 15, notice what the Word of God tells us here. Romans chapter 2, and in verse 15, he says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. We could go on. We could read right through the next chapter. We could find that certainly, certainly God in one sense has shown himself to all of mankind, that no man will have excuse one day when he's there. And so we know in, in, in one sense, in the temporal sense, that all men experience that to some degree now. We could look at many other verses. We know that the Bible also speaks us, teaches us, that all men to some degree, though undeservingly, you know, well, if your God is so great, you know, why isn't he doing this and why isn't he doing that? We serve a compassionate God. There's so many scriptures that they're too numerous to even look at. But in Matthew chapter 23, notice what he says there in verse 37. Matthew 23 in verse 37, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her children under her wings, and ye would not. You see, we know that God, he is the Savior of all men in the sense of the temporary. We know this. We know that the Word of God teaches us that he is the Savior of all men in the sense that his sacrifice was sufficient. When he died, his sacrifice was sufficient for the sins of the whole world. We know that John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he, who? Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, us the believers, and not for ours only. He says, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, our God, it is not his will, his desire that any should perish. One of the, I guess what's many times called the golden text of the Bible in John 3, 16, for God so loved what? The world. He loved the world. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave his son for all so that any of them that would believe 
that would have life everlasting. You see, God is a loving God. He's a compassionate God. He's the one that, that brings that conviction to the soul. He's the one that calls us to conversion through the work of the Holy Spirit, through his word. It's in his nature to save. He tells us that it's not his will that any should perish. He finds no pleasure in the death of a sinner. We can see his saving character right through the scriptures. But you know, anybody can love so much, but sometimes, sometimes it's when someone loves with the greatest intensity that someone else will scorn it. Have you ever loved somebody and you felt that love was not returned at all? Have you ever loved somebody that you couldn't figure out why? That they wouldn't accept that love? That they wouldn't return that love? You see, it's not God's love that's in question. We this evening can be committed. We can labor. We can work hard. We can face all of the reproach because we trust in a living God. We're not trusting in what we can do. We're not trusting in what can be accomplished by our work. We're trusting by God, the one that we're working for, the one that we're serving, and what he will do through us, through his word, because he is the savior of all men. We find that he was the savior. He paid the price. And it's his desire is that all would come. But especially, we find here, as the Savior of all, but especially to them that believe. You see, in this verse, we see a committed servant. We see a confident saint who he's working for. We see a concerned, compassionate, caring Savior the Savior of all men, he paid the price. He didn't leave anybody out. He didn't look at who would make good Christians and who would make bad ones. He didn't look at who would be worth the most and worth the least because they're all worth just as much to him. The one that you're witnessing to, Jesus died for them. The one that we're trusting in, he loved them so much that he died for them. We can be confident in that. This evening, it's only through that that we can see the final thing I'd like to leave you with here this evening, a converted sinner. A converted sinner is going to be through committed servants, confident saints that are working for their concerned, compassionate, caring Savior that they're going to be converted sinners. The sin of man goes right back to our father Adam but you know, we can trace rebellion to another place. We can trace sin to Adam, but then his son came. You see, Adam sinned, but then Adam accepted God's remedy for his sin. But Cain, when he began to take it upon himself, not to do what God wanted, but to do it his way, to worship according to his own choosing. 
He was the one that offered the, the fruit of the ground, the bloodless offering to take care of his sins. But that was an unacceptable offering. When God gave him the opportunity to change that offering, he refused. He chose a life of rebellion. Do you know that it was really right there with Cain in the book of Genesis, the son of our first parents. We could say he was the founder of false religion. To do something man's way instead of his way. And that's what we find there's still so much of around us today. Cain did a lot of other things. We won't turn and read it, but in Genesis 4, 17, we found that Cain actually established a city. That's a pretty big thing to be able to establish your own city. It tells us a lot about his family. One of his sons became a cattle rancher. His brother Jubal became the, the father of those that would handle the harps and the organs and the, and the music and all that that came from that down through the centuries. You know, one thing the Bible never shows us is any record of repentance on Cain's part. And the simple fact is, is that all of his descendants died in the flood. The flood took them away. When Cain rejected God's way of forgiveness, God led a lamb to the door of his tent as an invitation, as an invitation to salvation. Salvation is always by blood. Leviticus 17, 11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Nothing else will do. Hebrews 13, 20 says, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. You see, that's God's way. It always has been. It's never changed. He's never made an exception and he's not going to start making exceptions now. The sacrifice has been made. The sacrifice has been made for every soul that our eyes come upon and all the ones they don't. <laughs> He's a loving God. We're his creation. We're insubordinate because of our sin. <laughs> God doesn't change the rules. Romans 9.20 says, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? So many times we want to turn around. We want to say to God, well, why would you do that? Why would you do it that way? That doesn't make sense. We don't understand that. No, and we don't know what he knows. We don't love like he loves. We certainly have never experienced the holiness that is in him and the justice of a holy God. That's why we, we trust in the living God, the Savior of all men. I know enough from the Word of God to know that it would be His desire, 
He has paid the price that all can be saved, especially to them that believe. That's the ones that will experience. That's the ones that in the end, because of that blood sacrifice, can be converted this evening. I know it can be disheartening. I know also that I am well aware that there are many things in this world that can grasp our time, that can take our energies, that we can work so hard for. And I'm not saying that you can't do anything else. I'm just saying that so sadly, so many times, those temporal things get so much of our energies that we don't have anything left for the most important work of all. There is nothing more important in any of our lives as a child of God, there is no work that is greater. There is no work that deserves our energies. God knows you have to live. God knows you have to make a living. God knows you have to wash the dishes and wash the clothes and clean the house and go out and do the gardening and do whatever else you have to that you have to do to get through. God knows that. I'm saying, boy, the greatest work of all, doesn't it? deserve our attention? Doesn't it deserve more of our attention? I, I know as your pastor, it deserves more of my attention. So many things, so many times. I want to be a committed servant that'll both labor and suffer reproach, that'll work till exhaustion, that'll suffer whatever they want to throw against me and say against me and do to me. Why? Because I've got confidence because I trust in the living God. That's where my trust is. And I know that he saved me. And I know that he's the savior of all men, that he's a concerned savior that cares, that has compassion, that has paid the price, that has done it all. There is nothing that has been left out for your family and my family and my friends and your friends and that stranger that I meet on the street. There is nothing that has been left undone for his salvation that he could be that next converted sinner. But how hard are we working for it? How much does it mean to us? How much time do we spend truly each day of our life using our energies to labor for him, to work for him, for the living God? How much of it do we spend in our personal lives, in our church lives as we go out on the doors or go out on the streets to be a witness, to tell others how much. The simple fact is our Savior couldn't care more. He couldn't care more. And all those people, their only hope is the blood sacrifice that he's already made for them. But that is their hope. And I just want to encourage you this evening you might feel like you're beating your head against the wall sometimes. You might feel like you're not being very effective. You might feel like that it's just not accomplishing anything. God hasn't called us to chalk up the marks. He hasn't called us to get more saved than the other person down the street. He's called us to be faithful laborers, to be out there, to be expending our energies, to stand up on the truth, to give them the truth so that they can be saved. Paul's saying it's worth it all. It's worth whatever it cost us.
because it's the only way that they'll ever be not just a sinner, but a converted sinner. It's their only hope. It's the only hope they have. And we've still got life. And we've still got breath. We've still got energy to be able to give that to them. And that's what I want to encourage you this evening. <laughs> not to make life harder for you. Not so that you can get more tired than you already are. Just to take those energies that you've got. Give God his share. Do what you can for him. There's no greater work that we can accomplish. And when you don't see it happening, you be faithful. You be faithful. Be committed. Because you're doing it for a living God that's the Savior of all men. He paid the sacrifice. But he wants them to experience more than just the temporal things that they're experiencing now in this life. He wants them to have life everlasting. And that's why Jesus came and died for their sins so that they could have that life. Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, that as we look at this simple passage, Lord, it really isn't a passage that should bring about fatalistic thinking. That, well, some way, some way, somehow, one day they'll all be saved anyway. But Lord, really, it's a challenge to just the opposite. <laughs> Lord, that our Savior's done everything that needs to be done to save all men everywhere. His job is accomplished. His work is done. He was able to say, it is finished. And Lord, you invite time and time and time again. Lord, I pray that you just encourage hearts this evening. Yes, we may need to be challenged to more, but give us the excitement of knowing, Lord, that Yes, it might be tiring, and sometimes we may not even see all the fruit of our work immediately. But Lord, help us to be committed. Help us to be committed to your work. Help us to have the confidence that we need to have in you, not in us. Help us to remember and recognize just how compassionate and caring, concerned that you are for the souls of mankind. Lord, help us. Help us that in the days ahead we can see more converted sinners because you've done everything that's necessary. You've given us the glorious privilege to give them that truth. And Lord, if we have to give it to them once, great. If we have to give it to them a hundred times or a thousand times, help us to be faithful not to depart from the truth, but to give them the truth, the simple truth, the only way, the only way that will ever give them life everlasting. All for your glory and for your honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.